You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right. Well, hey guys, good morning. Good to be with you today. So we're uh, uh, starting a new teaching series in John chapter 12. We've been in the gospel of John for over a year and a half. I've preached through about 50 different messages. We've taken breaks, obviously, uh, through the gospel of John. So I'm excited to get back to it this morning. But before I do, I want to share with you, man, it's been a crazy week for us. Uh, we just got uh, two of our kids uh, celebrated graduation with them. I got a picture I want to show you from a State Farm Stadium. Um, so I, I just want to say thank you so much because uh, I think so much of their faithfulness to Jesus and through the church is not just because they had a loving mom and dad, but they had a loving church, a family, and a community to grow in. So um, Let's celebrate just job well done. Thank you so much. Um, I know there's a lot of other graduates out there, and so I want to encourage you to just be applauding them, encouraging them, supporting them. Um, The hope for the future is in the next generation. Amen? It really is, and you need, to, you need to pass that along and encourage that. So I've got family in the service today, so I'm going to ask my family, if you will, will you stand up real quick? My mom, my dad, my sister-in-law, my mother-in-law. There you go. Yeah. They looked at me with a look, a little look, right before I had them stand up. But I love them, and thank you for being here today. Um, we've got a, a great investment in young people. I've got a... A picture I want to show you. There's a kid who always seems to morph himself into all of our photos. Um, and so uh, that's Ethan right there. It was such a privilege over the last uh, few days. I've been able to just to be able to speak into the lives of young people through uh, the little uh, ceremonies we've had. And this guy always, uh, he photoshops himself into our photos and then puts them on Instagram and stuff. So, uh, you know, um, it. It's so important to have a, a church family and a community where you can have fun and an importance of investing into the next generation. Um, today, what I want to talk to you about and teach you through is in the most incredible, I think, life principle uh, about the Christian faith. And, and just walking through this week reminds me of how we started the church. I mean, seeing my kids grow up, just FYI, when we moved out here, they were just little kids. They started kindergarten here in the Deer Valley Unified School District. And then they stayed through the public school system all the way through and graduated from O'Connor. And it's been incredible. It's been a great joy to see. There have obviously been challenges along the way. But something I've told you before, I mean, man, our church went through the global pandemic. It went through all the political tensions. We'd have staff changes, campus changes, name changes. We've had so many different challenges. But to see the fruitfulness of young people sticking and staying in their faith and being vibrant in their faith is incredible. I remember when I went back uh, to Arkansas in those first few years, somebody said to me, man, Pastor Ryan, you and your wife, you've kind of buried yourself out there. Like you're just buried. And, I, and my response was more like, I don't think we're buried. I think we're planted. And there's a difference how you see that. Um, I think God planted us here. And, and when you start a church, they, call them, they don't call them church burials. They call them church plants because you plant them. And, and when you plant something, it grows But what's really crazy cool about a seed, I don't know if you know this or not, the seed has to die so that when it's planted, it will 
grow, and there will be fruitfulness. Today, what I want to teach you about, I think it's the most incredible principle for the Christian life, one, in salvation and coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and number two, in your sanctification, living every single day and growing, and it's called the paradox principle. What is a paradox? A paradox is a statement that seems contradictory, absurd, etc., but may be true in fact. What I want to show you is the paradox principle of the Christian life. Um, to do this, I just want to echo in your minds for a moment before we get started some of the paradoxical messaging that Jesus Christ sent out in his early ministry. So if you would, just close your eyes for a moment, and I'm going to read you statements from Jesus Christ himself. He said this, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus also said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Amen? Amen. Uh, this is all throughout the scriptures. Here's what the apostle Paul says. He says, hey, listen, the Lord spoke to him. He wrote this down. He's, the Lord ministered to Paul and God spoke to Paul and said this, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For, for the sake of of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am, help me out, strong. In your weakness is your strength. That is a paradox. That is completely paradoxical. It's upside down. The Apostle James said it like this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do you want to be great? be a servant of all. You want to be first, be last. Uh, in football and in training and in teams, they say, no pain, no what? That's it. I want to teach you about dying today. <laughs> dying to self so that you may live. What a powerful truth. John chapter 12, 20 through 26. I'm going to outline this section of scripture um, for you to understand. Before we get there, I want to paint the context. Um, uh, Jesus has already done his greatest miracle, and that miracle was raising Lazarus from the dead. That's the greatest miracle he, he did. Um, he has proclaimed himself as the Messiah. Uh, he has taught uh, uh, the multitudes, 15,000s of people gathering on hillsides. He's already done the Sermon on the Mount. He is already, now he's already come into, by the time we pick up the story today, he's already come into Jerusalem and that triumphal entry, which we celebrate in Christian history as Palm Sunday. He, he's already done that. Uh, he is, uh, his name is uh, very controversial. To be associated with Jesus at this point in time would be very, very dangerous. Um, his face has been plastered on posters of Jerusalem's most wanted uh, they are seeking to kill him. And even worse, they're seeking to kill Lazarus now because Lazarus is bearing testimony about who Jesus is. 
the Jewish people that were anticipating the Messiah are all conflicted, very crazed and frustrated. And the Jewish people by and large have rejected Jesus Christ as Lord. And yet there's still masses of people that are coming to Jesus. His public ministry is basically over at this point in time. This is the last week of the Lord's life. And that's where we'll be in the gospel of John until we close it out. It'll be like slow-mo in that last week. The series name is Teach Me, and my hope and heart is, is that you look at the teachings of Jesus Christ and you come with that humble heart and attitude and say, teach me, Lord. What are we going to learn today? The paradox principle, the most life-changing principle. So let's jump in, walk through the passage, explain some of the characters, do the development, and then at the end of it, I'm going to give you four ways in which to live out, put into practice this paradox principle. Here's the passage. John chapter, 20, John chapter 12, verses 20 through 21. It says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Uh, so these came to Philip, uh, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Uh, the folks that are coming are Greeks. It's a very versatile description uh, used to identify more so a geographic or cultural groups. It is, uh, these are the people that are not Jewish. These are the people that didn't grow up with the scriptures. These are the people whose God is more like Zeus, the God of thunder and the God of the sky. The Greeks are coming after Jesus Christ to hear about him. Not only are they saying, they're not going to him and saying, uh, we want to meet with Jesus so that we can see a miracle. They're saying, we just want to see him. And the person that they come to, they come to this guy, Philip. I want to introduce some of the characters and help you understand who they are. Philip is one of the 12 disciples. Uh, he later will become an apostle. Philip plays a much larger role in the Gospel of John than he does in the other synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Following his call to follow Jesus, it's in John chapter 1. Jesus is at the, in Galilee, and he calls him to follow him, and he does. And then, do you know what Philip does? The first thing he does is he goes and he finds Nathaniel, and he tells Nathaniel, hey, we've, we, we've found him. Uh, Nathaniel's famous response is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? In John chapter 2, Philip would be there. He'd be one of the disciples attending the wedding at Cana. Philip saw all this. He, he watched this water turn into wine. In John chapter 6, uh, Philip would have been there along the north side of the Sea of Galilee where there was multitudes of people and Jesus performed that incredible miracle uh, where he multiplied the bread and the fish. Um, in John chapter 14, Philip's there at the Last Supper when Jesus would speak about his voluntary death. He clarifies his role. Jesus clarifies his role in salvation in saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can get to the Father but through me. And Philip responds and says, Lord, show us the Father. Um, Philip is an imperfect man, a very ordinary man that God is going to use in extraordinary ways. Philip has a, a friend in which he's going to reach out to. He's going to go first to Andrew. It's one of the disciples. Let's look at the relay of the message. It says, Philip went and told Andrew. He didn't go tell Jesus that there's a request for a meeting. He goes and tells Andrew. 
Andrew is another individual I want to introduce to you this morning. I think he's a great uh, individual in which would be worthwhile of emulating and seeking to, uh, to look after uh, as somebody to look at as a, a great example. He was one of the earliest disciples. He's the brother of Simon Peter. Uh, Andrew and his brother, Simon Peter, were living in Capernaum, working as fishermen when Jesus called them. Andrew's one of the first disciples, or the first disciple, to really truly recognize Jesus as Messiah. This is Andrew. If you go to Scotland today, you'll see the flag. That flag is in honor of Andrew. He is the patron saint for the Catholic Church there. Um, the flag is a flag that is a blue flag, and it has a diagonal cross, and it's representing his cross that he would die a martyr's death. Andrew and Philip were all disciples. Uh, there perhaps is some level of hierarchy here. These Greeks go perhaps first to Philip, that Philip's, Philip's name is a Greek name. Um, so maybe they felt close and connected, like, hey, this guy could get us in. Uh, and then Philip for whatever reason, goes to Andrew, and the Scripture tells us Andrew and Philip both show up, and they come and tell Jesus. In other words, Jesus, there's a lot of people here. They're the Greeks, and they want to talk to you. Not only that, they want to see you. Um, these men will do that. These men will uh, go on in their life to prove themselves faithful. They will serve the Lord. Uh, they will be a huge part of the advancement of the early church. But for now, the meeting has been called, and Philip and Andrew both go to the Lord. Uh, this would have been uh, in an area that uh, around Galilee in which if you travel with me to Israel, uh, you can walk to. Uh, you can go to these very places. Uh, the Scripture mentions uh, Bethsaida, uh, that is on the northeast side of Galilee, um, the, the ministry of Jesus is all around Galilee, you know, so much of it. And so what we're going to see in Scripture here is that Jesus is going to engage and respond. Verse 23, and Jesus answered them. He says very simply, very clearly, very definitively, and very differently, he says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is the first time he says that. Uh, previously, he would say, my hour has not come. Now he is saying, my hour has come. What that means is, is that his time of death is imminent. It will happen. We are just days away, actually, from the crucifixion of Christ at this point in time. Jesus says, he calls himself, he uses this title, the Son of Man, which is used throughout the prophetic scriptures. The Jewish listener would have understood that. I believe the Greeks are most likely present when Jesus declares this. Um, I believe perhaps uh, John didn't include perhaps the details of this, but it's Philip and Andrew, and now they've brought them in, and there's an audience, and this is a gospel moment for all to hear about what Jesus is up to. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Perhaps for the Jewish listener too, this is actually a really good thing. They're thinking, yes, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Jesus is Messiah. He's gonna rule and reign as king. This is gonna be awesome. They're like, yes, let's overthrow Rome. Yes, let's rectify and restore and uh, have a reformation in the Jewish uh, uh, temple. 
they're thinking, yeah, that's really great. Yes, Lord, we're with you, Lord. And then, look, Jesus clarifies what he means by this. Verse 24, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about his death. Um, the seed, as I said earlier, it must die. And once it's planted and it's dead, and then it can be, uh, bring life. Um, it's very much like the same kind of concept where Jesus had the conversation with Nicodemus, which was a complete paradox. When, when Jesus, Nicodemus says, basically, what must I do? And Jesus responds to Nicodemus and says, you need to be born what? Again, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, how do I do that? I've already been born once. How am I supposed to be born again? Well, you need a new birth. Well, how do you get a new birth? Well, filling in the blanks, I think it would be something like this. Nicodemus, you need to die to yourself. And when you're dead to yourself, only then can you find that life so that you can be reborn. Every single one of us, if we're Christians, we have to understand that Jesus Christ absolutely, intentionally, voluntarily went to the cross and died so that you may have life. His death was planned. His death was purposed. Through his death, we have life. Uh, Jesus illustrates that here with this metaphor of a seed. Uh, when I was in Israel uh, just uh, weeks ago, I walked through the valley of Elah where David defeated Goliath, and today there's wheat fields everywhere. I walked through, I noticed, and I paid attention because I'm a bird hunter, and there was an extra ordinary amount of birds in this field. And somebody said to me, what are they doing here? And I said, can you not see? And I pulled my hands through the wheat and I pulled it up and I said, it's wheat. And so it was like an all-you-can-eat buffet for those birds. And uh, the wheat, though, Jesus uses that illustration and it says, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground, and he's referring to himself, and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Uh, Jesus Christ has brought more fruitfulness into this world than any other person that's ever lived. Every good thing that's ever happened to you is because of the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ is the one who uh, is that source of strength that brings the fruitfulness. Here it is. His further response is this. He clarifies again this paradox principle not only for salvation, but ongoing Christian living. He says, whoever loves, his, uh, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Continuing on in verse 26, he says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant, my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. What, what is Jesus saying? Two things about this paradox principle. Number one, the paradox principle is for salvation. It's for your salvation and understanding how you are saved. Um, you are saved because there was a death, and that death was in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died so that you may live. You have a hope, and you have a future, 
because the payment has been made for your sins. You don't have to atone for your sins. Jesus uh, paid for your sins on the cross. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Your healing, your hope is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. All of your uh, security and assurance of who you are as a believer is because Jesus has paid the price. We sing that song, Jesus paid it all. Uh, this is that message, through the death comes life. But it's not there that I'm gonna camp out today. It's on this paradox principle that I think has already been highlighted. It's in the paradox principle for sanctification. Here it is. Matthew says it like this, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus said these words. Uh, these are the very words that I heard as a young man when I was asking the Lord, why don't I have life? God didn't speak to me audibly, but he did speak to me very clearly. I didn't, wasn't memorizing scripture at that point in time in my life, but I asked the Lord, how come I do not have life? I did not know Jesus Christ. I grew up in a Christian household. And this is the Bible verse that came to me. I was in the mountains of Colorado. I looked up at the stars. I had uh, kind of bettered myself enough through high school that I graduated. I was on my way. My dream and my success for my life was I would marry the girl that I was dating and sleeping with. I would make a lot of money. I would emulate my life after her father, who was a very successful, wealthy, rich businessman. They did not love God. They did not live for Jesus Christ. They didn't serve in the church. My mom and dad did, and I chose another route. And then I start seeing some of my friends come to faith in Jesus Christ. I see the, the goodness that's happening in their life. I've got atheists that intellectualized and figured out that Jesus Christ was Messiah and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. I had friends that were in the rave scene and the party scene, and they decided that there, there wasn't happiness and peace there, and they came to know faith in Jesus Christ, and they, their life changed. And so here I am. I'm in the mountains of Colorado, and I asked the Lord, how come I don't have life? This is the Bible verse that came to me. And here's what I want to share with you. I think it's the secret for living. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Here's how I interpreted that. Ryan, you found your life. It's not working. You're going to lose it. You'll never know me. Ryan, whoever loses his life for my sake, that's the person that's going to find it. So what did I do? I said, Lord, I'll lose my life for you. I, I think I get it. I've got to be willing to let go. I've got to be willing to say, you're in control. I've got to be willing to say, life is not on my terms. Life is on his terms. If he's the creator, which... John chapter 1 tells us he is, that Jesus Christ was in the beginning, and he's the one who's formed everything together. He's the master carpenter who's created the entire world. Then we want to listen to him. So in that night, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, and everything did change. And it's in losing your life, I don't know if you are there on an ongoing basis, but it's in losing and letting go of your life that you find the greatest life. As a believer, this is the paradox principle 
for sanctification, ongoing walk with God and realizing that life is in giving your life away. Life is in dying to self and living for Jesus Christ. This is the paradox principle. So the question comes is, how do we put this into practice? I've got four different ways I think that would be helpful for us to do this. Number one, I would challenge you that you live to give your time to the Lord. You live to give your time to the Lord. That you realize that you've only got so much time in this life to live. Some of you are going to meet the Lord and leave this earth before others. Um, I was curious this morning uh, to see kind of like how long would I, an average person like me live? So I looked up deathclock.com. And uh, it was a very uplifting experience. Uh, it says, uh, according to deathclock.com, that my personal day of death is Wednesday, August 27th, 2070. Uh, the seconds to le left to live are 1,491,149,000,000 uh, uh, um, Who knows, right? I mean, it was very odd because I had to figure out body mass index. So I'm asking Siri, Siri, what is uh, body mass index for 44-year-old guy, you know, uh, X amount of pounds and all that. Um, my point in saying this is that we only have a limited amount to live, but I think the way the scripture paints it for you and I is that to honor the Lord and live for the Lord is everything that we've got, the time that we have is his and that it's his time. And you, don't, you can't control how much time you have left. Uh, if you've been around long enough, you've seen people that you love pass away. But the time is his. And when you live like that, that's a game changer. This isn't my time to shine. No, it's his time. And he's given you the gift of life and you use that time to honor the Lord. What do you do? John 15, four, Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. And that takes time. If you're gonna have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's gonna take time. If you're gonna have a relationship with your spouse, it's gonna take time. If you're gonna have a relationship with your kids, it's gonna take time. Time is so precious. Jesus said to his disciples, would you abide in me and I in you? As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. My question to you is, do you honor the Lord? Will you live to give your time to the Lord? I confessed in the first service, I'll confess it again. I think I gave more time to the Lord, just he and I all alone a couple of years ago. I'm recommitting myself to spend more time with God. When I spend time with God alone, it gives me a fresher vision for the work that I'm doing. When I spend time with God alone, I am so much more clear on my convictions, the values, the calling that he has called on my life because nobody else is around. Here's what I'm gonna do. You figure out what you need to do. What I'm gonna do is about every two weeks, I'm gonna take about a half a day and I'm gonna dedicate that time to the Lord for, Lord, how am I doing in the past with all the things that you've entrusted with me? Lord, how am I doing in the present? And Lord, what do you want for the future? 
What ideas, what kind of vision do you want me to push forward? How should I lead my family? How should I lead the church? How am I doing as a follower of Jesus Christ? You do not know that unless you spend time with the Lord. I I don't believe, I think what we do is we can bumble around through life and live in regret. When you're living in regret and depression, usually it's about your past. When you're overly focused on the past, you can easily get depressed. If you're overly focused on the future, you're probably anxious. So you need that space and place for the Lord. Lord, help me work through this past. Help me work through the present and through the future. The Lord is your strength. Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Would you decide perhaps today to say, I'm gonna honor the Lord with my time? my time. I'm going to live to give my time to the Lord. I believe that's going to make you a better uh, spouse. I believe that'll make you a better boss. I better believe that'll make you a better employee because now you're connected to the creator and you've spent time with him. Before you have that appointment of, you've already spent time with the king of heaven, the king and the maker of heaven and earth. So my encouragement is that you spend time there. For me, it's going to look like a, about a half a day every two weeks. In a given year, it'll be two to three days of just time with the Lord. I used to do this on a very regular basis. Like I said, I haven't done it as disciplined as I would like, but I will tell you those seasons and times with God um, are crucial because they're clarifying for where you're at and where you want to go in life. And you do that based on, I sense this is what God wants from me. That's how you need to live. You need to live with a clarity of conviction that you spent time with the Lord. And what does he say? As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You want to be fruitful in your life? You better be connected to Jesus Christ. That's number one. Live to give your time to the Lord. Number two, live to give your talent to the Lord. You have so much to offer the world around you. Um, any great team can't make it without other teammates. If you try to build a championship team on one player, it can win some games, but it's not going to win the championship. You, you need a team of people, and the church needs talented men and women to step forward. Just in the first service, I had mentioned that we have a great need as we're advancing our, our Thursday night services. I said we have a great need for tech guys and music guys, and God's grace and goodness was present. I walked right outside uh, the courtyard and a young man named Rory came forward and I said, hey, how are you doing? How long have you been coming? That's what you say when you meet new people, by the way. You don't say, is this your first Sunday? Because they're like, I've been here for a year. Thanks a lot. <laughs> you always say, how long have you been coming? And so he said, hey, I've only been here a couple of weeks. My, my wife and I moved here. Uh, we're from Ireland. And I said, fantastic. And he said, we love the church. We've been here a couple of weeks and it's so cool. How could we help? And I said, man, I, you know, there's tech needs. I don't know if you're techie. And he says, actually, I've got a music degree. Um, uh, I've got a school for musicians. And I said, man, that's amazing. Let me introduce you to our music director right away. Here's what I'm saying to you. Use your talent for God. God has given you special gifts. He's given you special talents. Use those for the glory of God. If you see special talents in your kids or you see gifts with your kids, encourage the heck out of them. 
support them, celebrate them. And I think what we tend to do in American culture and in the church is we try to make kids and everybody so balanced in every area of their life. Well, the truth is, is they don't possess every talent out there. They don't have every gift. They have some gifts. And those are the gifts that you want to fan into flame. Here's what the apostle Peter said this. He says, as each has received a gift, he didn't say a million gifts. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So you have a stewardship responsibility. And it's very interesting as you give away your talent, I believe you will be experiencing more life because you see the impact of that talent being utilized. You find the fulfillment. Uh, Studies have shown when high-level executives retire from their work and do nothing and they don't contribute back, they die early deaths. And those that say, I'm going to give back and invest my time and my energy for good, they live longer, healthier, stronger, more meaningful lives. What I'm telling you is that I think you're talented I think that each one of you have a few gifts. You don't have dozens of gifts. Please don't deceive yourself. You're not great at everything. You're probably great at one or two things. You might be great at three things. You could be good at a couple of things, and you're bad in a lot of things. And so am I. And that's okay. But I'm telling you, live to give your talent raise up the next generation, help coach, develop the employees, encourage, edify, build up your kids, use your talents, whatever God's given you to serve the Lord inside, outside of the church. See yourself as a steward, whatever you're good at. Somebody said to me uh, recently, they were talking about missions and not sure what to do. And they asked me, how do I know where God's called me to serve? And I said to them, I said, find a need around you and then just go meet that need. And that's serving. And that's important. And serving is good. Serving is always below you. Like when Jesus washes feet, like he's not talented in washing feet, you know, but he's washing feet because it's a real need and he's doing it to, for a mega message. That's serving, but utilizing and stewarding your gifts that's serving like 3.0. But don't ever get beyond, well, I can't serve and like be lower than me. Is This stewardship is an idea of you're using your design of how God has crafted you, made you to meet a really important need. And then that's high impact when you do that. And so I'd say number two, live to give your talents to the Lord. Number three, live to give your testimony for the Lord. You live to share about what God's doing in your life. 1 Peter 3.14 says this, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Over the last uh, several years in uh, conservative evangelical circles, um, Christians have been uh, perhaps uh, rightly so um, labeled very disrespectful, um, perhaps uh, unrightly as well, but Nonetheless, it's pretty clear to me as a pastor walking through these last few years in the pandemics and the politics and the tensions and all of that. And there's so many 
wrong things that have been happening in our society within politics and education and uh, all sorts of uh, gender identity, the indoctrination in our education, all of that. And I'm adamantly against it. And I've spoken out against it. But here's what is necessary and needed for Christians and for the church is you got to figure out how to do that with gentleness and respect. You got to figure out how to be that voice that stands out and stands up you represent Jesus Christ. You represent the church. You're speaking truth. You're doing it in love. You're filled with grace, but you're never backing down from the truth. And I think gentleness is that, where you can intelligently uh, correct. You can intelligently, gently uh, address the issue that is going on and doing it respectfully. I think giving your life away is carrying that seed of the message of hope of Jesus Christ in your life and giving it to other people. When I visited the, uh, Israel, I visited the Dead Sea, and I visited the Sea of Galilee. Um, sea of Galilee is filled with life. Uh, the Dead Sea is dead. Uh, the Sea of Galilee, some uh, 14 miles long, is really like a, a lake, is seven and a half miles across. Uh, filled with all sorts of life. The Jordan River flows through the Sea of Galilee. It's this beautiful place. Uh, the Jordan River flows to the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea has no outlet, and it's completely dead. The metaphor that I got out of that is that if you're a, this body of water, you've got to have an outlet. You've got to have a place where there's life coming to you and working through you. You cannot be a reservoir. You must be a river. You've got to let it flow through you. As a believer in Jesus Christ and, and for our church, man, we are in a, in a season and there is an important reason that you should be sharing your faith is because Jesus Christ has impacted your life and you do it and giving people that opportunity to ask questions and give them a reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect. And number four, I would say putting the paradox principle into practice is uh, living to give your treasure to the Lord. Um, I think that we think when oftentimes in giving, I think we think obligation. And I think you should look at giving as an opportunity. To me, I remember early on when I was uh, not a great giver, my wife was, and she said in our marriage, Ryan, if you're not consistent and faithful um, in giving and we ask anybody else to give, do you think God is going to bless you and bless us? I, could ha I just had to say, I don't think he will. And so we got faithful and we started tithing and started giving and I was raising money. You perhaps have heard the story for the Luis Palau group and doing evangelistic crusades and uh, God blessed it. The first outreach we had, we had like 500 youth, and uh, I think, uh, no, it was 5,000 youth came to the city. 500 young people made a decision for Christ. Uh, after that, years later, the Luis Palau team came in, and there was thousands and thousands of people there, and thousands of people uh, gave their life to Jesus Christ. And I was a fundraiser in their early coming to, the Val or to, to, to Little Rock. And I was uh, honored by that and grew in that. And so this idea of living to give your treasure to the Lord is another stewardship issue. Uh, Matthew says it like this, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Well, how do you do that? You do that through giving. You give it through, do it by serving the Lord. Jesus is absolutely talking about money here because this is what he says in the following verses. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Um, the word for money is mammon and it's a per personified word in the Greek and it means like a God, a rival God. There's a false God that wants your attention, that wants your allegiance, that doesn't want you to give to the church, that doesn't want you to give to any good work for God. Uh, and that God, I believe, is the God of Baal from, that's been around for a very long time. It's a false God in American culture today. And it is a God that says this, why don't you sacrifice everything you have for success? Why don't you sacrifice everything you have for you and yourself? Why don't you sacrifice that marriage for success? Why don't you sacrifice the kids for success? Why don't everybody go work? Nobody pay attention to the kids. Let's get lots of money and let's all say we're happy. That, that is uh, uh, serving the God of money. Um, no one can serve two masters. So what I'm saying is I want to challenge you to live to give your treasure to the Lord. That is laying up treasures in heaven that is serving God, that is not serving your money, that is serving your master. Four big areas I'm, I'm challenging you to put into practice. I said, number one, you live to give your time to the Lord. Number two, you live to give your talents to the Lord. Number three, you give your testimony to the Lord. Number four, you live to give uh, your treasure for the Lord. At this point in time, I want to invite up some church planners who uh, are going to go out and plant a church Give them a big, warm welcome. This is Matt and Hannah. We're so glad you guys are with us this morning. And you guys are going to plan a church. Uh, part of being a part of North Valley is we help start and strengthen churches. Um, we've got three churches that we're helping start in 2023. And you guys are looking at early 2024. Tell us a little about, about yourself and about the yeah. church. Well, my name is Matt. This is my wife, Hannah. And on the screen, you'll see my son, Lucas. He's six. And my daughter, Micah, she's three. We just moved here at the beginning of March. We're living in Buckeye, Arizona. And our goal is to plant Orbit Church. Orbit Church. Our uh, belief is that God's called us to, to help people find peace and develop purpose by revolving everything around Jesus. We really wanted a mental model that helped people. It's kind of like the paradox principle where we want to help people find their lives by revolving their life around Him, by losing their own life and um, following Him for the rest of theirs. That's our heart. That's our goal. And uh, so we're really excited to be able to do that. We're excited to be here today to be able to mention what we're doing. So I've got three little brief action steps that I'd invite you guys to, to do for us. First, I'd love for you to pray for us. Um, man, God has called us to be out there, but he's called so many planters around the world to start spreading the gospel in places where the gospel is not being spread currently. And in the West Valley, there are a lot of people who don't know Jesus. There are a lot of spaces that churches need to be filling. So could y'all pray for us that we would build our launch team, that the people who are willing to show up um, when nothing exists 
and start building something from scratch. Uh, you remember those days mm -hmm. where you needed to build a leadership team. You needed to find volunteers who are willing to look at what doesn't exist and say, God, can you use me to create something? So could y'all be praying for us as we do that? The second thing I'd encourage you to do, you're going to get to use your hands for a second. If anyone has a phone and has an Instagram account, I'd encourage you right now to jump on Instagram, ask for permission to ask you to use your phones and get on social media during church. Uh, I'd love for you to follow us, orbit.church. We had about 30 people follow us in the last service. We can beat that in this service if y'all all do it. There you go. That's a good uh, pastor right there. You can already yeah. tell. Challenging hey. them along. Well, you can follow us. You can comment on stuff. You can like things. Uh, I was talking to a few church planners over the past couple of weeks, and they told me that when they had their launch day, 80% of the people that showed up found out about them through social media. And so that would be so helpful for us if you could follow, like, comment, and do the different things like that. And the third thing, you all probably know somebody a little bit further west than where you live currently. Uh, we live in Buckeye, but we're close to Goodyear, Surprise, Litchfield Park, Tonopah, Waddell. If you know somebody over there, I'd love for you to let them know about Orbit Church. And right at the end of service, we'll be out here. We've got some cards that we can give you to pass along to your friends and family members. Uh, and the last thing I'll say is I'm so grateful for your pastor, Pastor Ryan. He's an amazing man of God, has a generous heart, and is very kingdom-minded. So I just wanted to thank him for allowing me to stand up here. Thanks, Anyways, that's all I got. All right. Thank yeah. you so much. All right. Let me pray for them. Will you pray with me? Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for Matt and Hannah and their faithfulness to follow the call and start a new church. Lord, there will be thousands upon thousands moving into that area over the next few years, and we're grateful that we get to be a part of helping start a new church. New churches reach new people, and uh, we're grateful for that. There's no greater uh, advancement of the gospel than church planting. And Lord, that's why we as a church have been, and we will, and continue to be a part of helping start and strengthen churches. And so we thank you for Matt and Hannah, and we as a church just Pray for them, their marriage, and ask for your protection, your blessing, a double blessing, God, whatever you've given towards us, that you might give towards them and their marriage, their kids, Lord, their, their teams, and just the ministry ahead of them. And as for us as a church, might you help us to evaluate how we can be greater supports to help encourage, edify, and build up a new work in the West Valley. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. All right, guys, give them another big round of applause, if you will. Hey, um, just FYI, so the really cool thing is, is when he gets ready to jump out there and start their first Sunday morning, we always send a team of people over to these new churches to just be with them and support them. We provide ongoing coaching. Um, we're going out. Uh, Brian Pacheco, I just got a message from him this week. He's starting his first service July 30th, I think it is. And we're sending a team on the first Sunday morning helping open up a church, a brand new church in the East Valley. And uh, there's a couple more that we're looking at, uh, continuing to work with and support. And he's definitely one of those guys for early 2024 that we're excited about doing that. So do connect with him. Know that when you give to the general fund, 1% of all of our general fund goes straight in to help start and strengthen churches. Uh, know as well through the hope offering when you give above and beyond, that supports all of our local and global outreach, including our missionary support to Scotland as we started a church over there. Um, so know that your giving does make a big difference. Last year, we gave right around $100,000 for uh, local and global outreach. So let's celebrate that for a moment. 
Um, in just a moment, you're going to come forward and receive communion as you're ready. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, just remind yourself that through his death, you have life. So, Lord, right now, we just pray as you prepare our hearts that, Lord, we thank you that the life we have in Jesus Christ, that through your death, we can find life and healing. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you're the redeemer. You're the one who can restore whatever has been broken, whatever's uh, in trouble or in distress right now. We pray for your healing help through the power of the Holy Spirit and the reminder of your great love for us at the cross that you take all the sins upon yourself and you render us a new sense of righteousness and good standing. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.